0: So the year was, um, it was, I think it was about 1991, uh, 1992. I woke up and uh, one of my uh, good friends or a mentor, uh, Andy Firmonti. Mean, remember our brother who's in the presence of the Lord? Yeah, right? So Andy was on the edge of my bed. And so, it was kind of first, it took me a little while, kind of like, you know, what's Andy doing on the edge of my bed? But Andy, Andy was on the edge of my bed, and he had a concerned look on his face. And um, I said, "What's up?" And he said, "I just, I just want, I want to encourage you. You make sure you're keeping your eyes on Jesus." Amen. And he said, "See, Andy and I went to the same church together, and there was some stuff that were going on in the church, and I had just come back." To the Lord in 1989, and uh, he, was such, he was one of those people I first went to, you know, and uh, Andy would encourage me and challenge me and, and uh, just really kind of came alongside me, and he was really concerned at that moment of that, you know, that fragile state of just kind of coming back uh, to the Lord. He was concerned that, that um, some of the things that might be going on in the church would, would really affect my walk with the Lord. And he said, listen, there's some stuff. I didn't go into detail, but he just said, there's just some stuff that's going on. He says, I'm telling you, Tony, you make sure you keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't let anything or anybody affect your walk with God. He was concerned for me. It was out of love for me that he showed up in the early morning, concerned that, my disappointment or something would would shipwreck my faith, would get me off course, that would distract me and out of out of nothing but love and concern for me, he showed up in my house and, and challenged uh, my heart to, despite what I was going through or gonna experience, you keep your eyes on Jesus. Last week, we began to look at chapter three and we began to look at, Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica, Uh, and here we have a a group of young converts who had just recently come to faith. They had turned from their pagan practices and and their pagan ways, and they uh, were going literally against the flow of their culture. And as a result of that, the church was enduring some really difficult times of of trials and and tribulation. And, And Paul was concerned that the trials that they were going through were going to get them off course. Like Andy, who approached me that morning, Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica, concerned that what they were going through might distract them, might discourage them, would would get them off course. He writes this in chapter 3 and verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians. He says, therefore, when we can bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this, right? So Paul, knowing that this church, that he is, he's no longer present at the moment, they're going through difficult times, and he's concerned for them. And so he said, when I can take it no longer, Wondering how you're doing. I'm going to say, he sends Timothy, and Timothy goes to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. Paul says, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were going to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bury it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. Not about your convenience, not how you thought about things. I, went, I sent Timothy to learn about your faith. How are you doing? For a fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And so out of, a, out of, a, out of a, uh, the heart of a shepherd, right, for love for his people, he sends Timothy to learn about their faith. This this group of, of young converts, he sends Timothy to, to establish and to exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. It was my intention last week to... Uh, Uh, finish all of chapter three. I don't know if you noticed, I kind of mentioned where we were going to go in the message that day, and we didn't end up going there at all. Uh, As we came to that section on on trials and tribulation, I kind of felt the Holy Spirit just kind of having me kind of park there for a little bit and kind of pause on my agenda and just minister to what our hearts ought to be in times of, of trial and tribulation. And so this morning, I'm coming back to where I left off last week as, uh, as we look at Paul addressing this church that he sends Timothy to, right? I mentioned that Paul, uh, Paul was also in a place at this time of his writing where, where he needed also to be encouraged, Paul is the object of much of the attacks by the uh, the authorities of the day. They're trying to stop the church from influencing the, the, the city of Thessalonica. And they figure, you know what? Maybe what will, first they chase him out of the town hoping that that will, you know, diffuse what's going on, but that didn't happen. So they decided, let's discredit the messenger, hoping that the message will get lost, right? And so they start hurling all kinds of accusations against Paul. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. And you know what? Paul's discouraged. I mean, it's heartbreaking when when you're constantly under attack, right? And so he's at this point where he's realizing, all right, I'm going through a tough time. I'm pretty established in the faith. And now he's concerned about this young church. And so he sends Timothy over to encourage them. And Timothy comes back from this assignment that Paul sends him on. And he, he comes back with a great report. What, what, what Timothy experienced amongst the church of Thessalonica encouraged the Apostle Paul, we'll see, he points that out there, but 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 Timothy highlights three characteristics that were clearly evidenced amongst the church in Thessalonica. got to remember now, this is a young church, right? They had just turned from, from total uh, pagan worship and all kinds of practices of idolatry. They embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. They have a transformation of life, right? And so now as a result of them going against the culture, right, they are under a tribulation and trials and persecution. And so Paul sends Timothy to make sure, hey, yo, are they okay? And Timothy comes back with this glowing report, and he sees these three characteristics. He sees that they are people, they are holding to the faith. He sees that they are are loving one another, and that they are continuing to walk in holiness. Three characteristics that Timothy will present here that we'll see that Paul highlights and affirms as being evident amongst them was that they were holding to the faith, they were loving one another, and they were walking in holiness. Let's take a look at verse six of chapter three. He says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us the good news of your faith and of your love. See, he brought us some good news and the good news he brought about to us was about your faith and your love. And he reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us. You see, we got to remember here, Paul loved the church in Thessalonica. And Paul knew something that if the messenger, if the messenger is attacked and people started to believe the evil reports that are being said about Paul, he knew that the people were going to turn against him these people who he loved, right? And he's concerned that they think that, man, I hope they don't believe what's being said. I don't want them feeling like they're being duped by, by me, right? And what he says here is, Timothy came back and he reported that, you, that you, you're thinking kindly towards us, that you long to see us, even as we long to see you. He says, for this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction... I love this. We have been in turn comforted through you, through your faith. For we now live if you're standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply that which is lacking in your faith. What a great report that Timothy Brings back to the Apostle Paul, right? I mean, he's saying, hey, I've heard that you're you're longing to see us. You remember us kindly, right? They didn't change the narrative. Mission was not successful, right? You're still loving us. You're still embracing the message. Our labor towards you clearly was not in vain. And as a result of the report that I'm hearing, I am encouraged in my faith. Here's the report from Timothy. Hey, hey, Paul, here's the deal. Yeah, they're going through some things, right? They're, they're, they're enduring trials and tribulations. Yes, there there is challenges. Yes, they're, they're experiencing trials and tribulations and, and all kinds of persecutions. But here's the deal, Paul. Their faith is only growing larger and larger over time. What they're going through, Paul, is drawing them closer to God and not from God. And Paul was encouraged to hear and see the sustaining work of God's spirit amongst the people. Three times in this section, Paul will highlight the the importance of of their faith growing stronger and stronger in the midst of the persecution. He says in verse six, he says, I've heard of the, the good news of your faith and love. I've heard of the good news of your faith and your love in verse six. In verse seven, he says, we have been comforted about you through your faith. And then lastly, he says, we can't wait to see you all the more. Why? So we can supply what is lacking in your faith. I love this. See, Paul is looking forward to the ongoing relationship that he's going to have with the church of Thessalonica. He's saying, hey, I'm looking forward to coming back and building on the foundation that was laid. It's a picture of community. It's a a picture of discipleship and mentoring. He's like, I'm looking forward to coming back and building on your faith. He says, for this reason, in verse 5, He says, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer. I mean, this is what Paul was looking to see. How is their faith? He said, when I can bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to learn about your your faith. What a great testimony about, about your faith. What is meant by the faith that Paul makes reference to? I think that word faith is often used in Wrong context, and oftentimes it's applied to anything connected to any kind of belief. People will say all over our culture, Oh, I'm a person of faith. Or they'll say, You, know, you just gotta, you gotta keep the faith. And what they mean by that is that you gotta be spiritual. Right, because that that is the buzzword of our day today, right? Everybody's looking to be spiritual. Everybody's looking for something outside of themselves to hold on to, and they consider themselves a person of faith. And they latch on to some of the craziest things. I watched Castaway this last week, you remember? Wilson. Right? He was holding on to Wilson. That's not what Paul was encouraging. That's not what Paul meant. He wasn't looking for them to just embrace a faith, something bigger than them outside of themselves. But what Paul was excited about was that they were embracing a faith that is connected to a specific person, the Lord Jesus Christ, as revealed in the word of God. Paul's rejoicing about their faith wasn't that they just had faith, but that their faith was tied to a person. They didn't get knocked off course. Jude will tell us in his epistle in verse three of of that one chapter that we are to contend for the faith. The faith. Well, what is the faith that we are to contend for? The faith that Paul sees so evidently present in Thessalonica was a faith that was tied to a person. It is a faith, it is the saving truth of Jesus Christ and his teaching. Ultimately, ultimately, it is the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Any faith apart from a faith that is not tied to a person of Jesus Christ as represented in the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a faith that pleases God and it is not a faith that saves We can be surrounded by people who say they're people of faith. But if it is not tied to a person that is grounded and identified to us in the Word of God, it is not a faith that saves. Now, I won't deny that faith in something can help a person get through the moment. We see people embracing all kinds of forms of pagan tree and idolatry and all kinds of things to get through the moment. Like, like, like Tom Hanks grabbing a hold of Wilson, right? It might, it might put a Band-Aid on for the moment. Here's the problem. It doesn't solve their bigger problem. It will never reconcile them back to God. You see, that's man's biggest dilemma is that we are separated from God. And it is faith in Jesus Christ that reconciles us back to God. And it was that faith that he sees growing more and more amongst the people in Thessalonica. Don't settle for spirituality apart from saving faith in Christ alone. Don't settle for the buzzwords of spirituality thinking, well, that's good enough. Spirituality that's not connected to the person of Jesus Christ is a counterfeit. It is a false spirituality. It'll never satisfy and it'll never save. This was always Paul's concern for all the churches that he served. Many of the issues that Paul had to address had to do with people mixing faith with works. A belief in God coupled with something they needed to do so that they might be reconciled from, with God, right? And so we, we see all throughout the epistles that Paul is addressing the churches that oftentimes they would return back to a work system and they would apply works with faith, thinking that that formula, if you will, was what was going to be necessary to get them over to the finish line. And anything that we add to our faith is a work that diminishes the very essence of what faith is. You see, religion gets in the way of what God intended. Religion has its rules and its regulations, its its do's and its don'ts. and, And the reality of it is the core of Christianity is a simple message. People make it confusing. Religion gets in the way. Jesus didn't come to set up a religion. He came to restore a relationship that creation can have with his creator. And the gospel message is a very simple message that man is born a sinner separated from God and because he's born sinner, he he continues to sin. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And when we turn to Jesus as the only one, the only means by which we can be forgiven of our sins and we turn from what we were and we turn to who we are in Christ by faith as as he being the only means of our forgiveness, the scripture says we're born again. I love the fact that that scene with the thief on the cross was preserved for us to hear and read about in the scripture. He might, have, he might have flunked a whole bunch of theology tests, but I'll tell you what, he embraced Jesus as the only means of his forgiveness. And as a result of that, Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. We gotta be really careful to not allow the simplicity of the gospel to get lost amongst us. That's what Paul was, was concerned about. That's what he, he, he writes to the churches in, in Galatia and, and the churches in Corinth. Listen to what he says in Second in Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. He says this, But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For he who comes preaching another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not received, he says, my fear is that you may well put up with it. Listen, not everybody who portrays the name of Jesus or says they're preaching the gospel is actually preaching the gospel and presenting to you the historical Jesus of the Bible. And what what he's saying here is, don't be deceived by the simplicity that's in Christ. Don't let anybody rewrite the narrative of who Jesus is and what he calls us to. The gospel is not up for renegotiation, and it doesn't change over time according to culture. And he says, if anybody preaches to you another gospel in Galatians, he says, let that person be accursed into hellfire without the possibility of being redeemed. God takes serious the twisting of the gospel. He's saying, don't, don't, don't let the simplicity that is in Christ get lost amongst you. So many Christians check out because they look and say, well, I can't do this and I can't do this. I can't do this. And I'm just saying, can you just love on Jesus? Can can you just pursue him? Can you make him more of a priority than than, than anything else? And you see what ends up happening is as, as you're pursuing Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, he will change you. He will transform you. The things that you can't seem to get over, he'll give you the grace to move on. As you're looking unto Jesus, not a religion, not a church, not a behavior, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I mean, that's what he's wrote to the church in Ephesians, right? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, right? He's working on us. And so allow your love for Jesus. Listen, when I, when I got married and I fell in love with my wife, just being around my wife changed me in a, in a better way, right? I became better. I thought differently. I saw things differently. Her influence in my life changed me. You can't love on Jesus and not change. Because now the Holy Spirit of God that is within you is transforming you, making you more and more like Jesus. And I know if, I, if we had like an unlimited amount of time, if I brought people up here one after another and say, listen, have you changed since you embraced Jesus? Every one of you say, oh, it's different. Some things are different. I mean, I'm not perfect yet, but you know what? I don't go to the places I used to go. I don't do the things I used to do. I don't value the things the way I used to value them. Not because I embraced some religion. I'm just changing on the inside, right? You see, that's what transformation does. Behavior modification is when we try to change ourselves on the outside and it doesn't work and it creates all kinds of frustration. Transformation is what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts on the inside and it takes a process, a work of the Spirit of God in us. Paul's fear for them was that they would be That their minds would be corrupted for the simplicity that is in Christ. I just want to say this whether you're here this morning or listening online or on TV. If you've not embraced Christ as your Savior, as Christ as the only means of your salvation, don't settle for spirituality. Don't settle for a church. Don't settle for, for do's and don'ts. Go to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you of your sin and to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior and love on him, learn about him, open the word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you about this God who loves you. I guarantee you, life will change. Things will, you'll be transformed. The scripture says you'll be born again. This is a major concern that Paul had for the church. That's why he sent Timothy back, that he was concerned that their faith would be, would be shaken. Matter of fact, listen to how concerned he was when he finally got the good news back. Right, First Thessalonians chapter three, verse eight. He says this: "Now we can live if you're standing fast in the Lord." In the Lord, I mean, it's kind of dramatic. He's like, "Now that I know you're okay, I can finally live now. <laughs> Everything's going good. It's kind of tied to like what he said before. When I can bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out how you're doing. And now that I finally found out how you're doing, finally I can live now." As I said before, Timothy's report had come back to Paul when Paul was going through a season of clearly feeling oppressed by his own difficult circumstances, being the object of much attack and criticism. But I find it refreshing that this same apostle who sends Timothy to encourage the church in Thessalonica is on the receiving end of the needed encouragement for himself when he hears about what God is doing in the church of Thessalonica. In verse six, the good news from Timothy was about their faith and about their love. And Paul will pick up Back on that theme as we continue in our verse, uh, verse 11. Look what he says here, verse 11, chapter three. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. I've heard about your faith and I've heard about your love. May it, may it increase and abound in your love for one another and for all just as we do for you. Let me just say this about the importance of loving one another. God designed the church in such a way that we are mutually dependent upon one another, not codependent upon one another, but we are mutually dependent upon one another. That in the same way that our, the. The parts of our body are dependent on the other parts of our body to maintain complete health. Likewise, the scripture who likens the church to, the, to a body says to us that the body is, it is necessary that each part of the body is healthy and working alongside one another. It highlights the importance and the value of every person walking in harmonious Love with one another. And when when we are walking in community and we're working um, harmoniously with one another and love is abounding and the church thrives the way God has designed for it to be. And this church in Thessalonica who was experiencing hardships and trials and and persecution and and all of the consequences, remember, because they're going against the flow, right? Right? They loved on one another. They leaned on one another the way God had designed for them to do and it resulted in an effective God-honoring missional church that continued to impact the community of Thessalonica. That's why Paul will, not Paul, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, in highlighting the importance of of us gathering together, of the body being in community, not just, not just attending the same church and sitting in the same seats, but actually interacting with one another in authentic community because that's, what the, that's why the scripture likens us to a body. It's not just, we're not just to be present amongst one another, but we're to be actively engaged in the lives of one another. And, and that was evident in the church of Thessalonica. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 verse 24 says this, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another, That's us, how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, as the day draws near, it's necessary for you to not check out. It's not for you. It's not time for you to pull away. It's time you pull closer together. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some is. And so much more, as he says, as the day is drawing near. The day that the writer of Hebrews refers to is the same day that Paul is referring to in the upcoming chapters that we'll be looking at in the next couple of weeks. The day of the Lord, the events that will take place prior to Christ's coming. You see, the closer we get to that time, the more the church will be forced to go against the flow of the world. Now, remember what I said last week, when we are going against the flow of the world, it's not like we're going against people. That's not what we're called to do. We're not to go against people. We're to go after people, right? To show them the love of Christ. But as we're embracing Christ and we're being transformed by the spirit of God, we're not doing the things that are consistent with the world. We're going against the practices and the ideologies and the sinful ways of the world. And as we're going against the flow of the world, it's going to get that much more uncomfortable for the church of Jesus Christ. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is when that's kind of as you draw closer to the day, as you get closer to the end time, it's that much more important that you come together. So the less popular the church becomes out there, the more important the gathering is in here not to hide like we're in some monastery, not to stay away from the big bad nasty world, but to come here to remember, to, to, to get into the scriptures, to encourage one another, to build one another up, to be charged on our batteries so that we can go out into the world and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ back into the world in which we're called to. You've heard me say it a thousand times, the strategy of Satan is to isolate and then infiltrate. That's what he does. We're, we are suffering the, the consequences of these last couple of years that with all the isolation and all the fear and the politics and all the stuff that's gone on around that. It, is, it has called people and given people permission to check out of the house of God. They're out doing all different kinds of things. And the problem is they're not hearing the word. They're not embracing the word. They're not in community. So when the enemy isolates us, he knows finally has a, he has a, a, an easy target and it begins to infiltrate. You've seen it happen in so have I. People pull away. They're discouraged. They, they, they're hurt by someone. Someone didn't say hello. Someone didn't butter their bagel. Somebody grabbed the last, the last cinnamon raisin bagel. How dare they do that? What kind of church is this? They are not loving. And they go on. I'm going to pull away. See, I wasn't there for two weeks. Nobody called me. Nobody cares about me. They're a bunch of hypocrites. And we isolate and we isolate and we isolate. And the enemy starts fueling lie after lie after lie. And he infiltrates. And the scripture tells us, listen, as you're getting closer to the end, it's the time for the church to come together. To not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. are you glad you're in church today? Yes. What Paul saw there was a growing faith and a growing love for one another. Because he says in, in, in chapter 1 of of 2 Thessalonians, he, he says this in verse 3. He said, we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Look, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Right? So we're seeing this church is, is thriving. I know we're jumping ahead a little bit. We're not in Thess- Second Thessalonians, just a little sneak peek of where, where this church is continuing to grow and go. And notice Paul doesn't say that their love was only extended to one another, by the way, in our text, but to all of those in Thessalonica. Look at verse two, going back to our text today in chapter three and verse two. He says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Notice that we're not only defined by our love for one another, but we're defined by our love for the world around us. And sometimes it's, it's sometimes it's being in the community of Christ, being with one another, that we get the right perspective of the fact that we're on mission out there. And when we realize that we're on mission out there, we realize that we have a purpose that's bigger than ourselves and it gives us the ability and the grace to love the unlovely. Because that was us one day, right? May we never forget what we were before Christ stepped into our lives. The only difference between me and the most vilest of sinners is Jesus Christ. And sometimes I need to get into the house of God and be amongst the people of God to be reminded of what I was so I can have a love for the world around me. I can point them to the Savior. Not only were they defined by their faith, not only were they defined by their love, but they were defined by their holiness. Look at verse 12 and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. What Timothy reports back to Paul and Paul is affirming as evident in them was their faith, their love, and the holiness the holy lifestyles with which they lived their lives paul's not referring to a, a future holiness that they would walk in when christ appeared but a current a present holiness a lifestyle that remembers that 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 resembles and reflects the lord jesus christ who saved them remember this was a people who just months, maybe a year before, were not living holy lives. They were disconnected from the life of God. They were involved in all kinds of pagan practices and and idolatry, but they came to Christ and now they're living holy lives. To be holy literally means to be other, to to be set apart, to be different than what you were. Not, Not for the sake of just being different, but because you've been transformed by the Spirit of God. And you see, you are different. You are different. You don't see things the way. You've been, as Jesus said, born again. Right? We've been born again. We see things differently. Now the life of God has been put in motion in our lives. To be holy is to be set apart, to be different than the world. To have our lives resemble the life of Christ as if he was walking in our shoes in the day-to-day to be conformed into the image of his son that's what Paul writes to the church of Rome in chapter 12 and verse 1 he says I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that's what we ought to do that we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is spiritual worship. Do you, do you see what he's saying here? He's saying that when we, would, when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, it is worship to God. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's change. That's not behavior modification. Too many times a new believer will come under a religious yoke of bondage where the church will come in and say, well, listen, now that you came to Christ, you, you don't do this anymore, you don't do this, you don't, you don't see this person, act this way, and they give them a whole laundry list of all the things you're supposed to do. The only problem is God hasn't given them the grace to give those things up yet, right? They kind of invited that person into their own spiritual journey, but this babe in Christ is still like needing to nurse on the bottle, and they're throwing all kinds of meat at them. And then that young Christian's going, What's the matter with me? I must not have tapped into the right thing. Do what's with this Christianity? It's not scratching the itch for me. And they throw in the towel. Being holy is not a word that you necessarily might choose to identify yourself as. because of the negative connotations that are often put out there. Nobody wants to be considered a, the holy rollers, right? Or you stop doing what you used to be doing and people look at you and say, oh, what do you think you are, holier than thou? And we look and say, oh, I, don't be, I don't want to be labeled holy. And see, but here's the deal. It's not about a label of holiness. It is a lifestyle of holiness that the scripture is calling us to. A lifestyle that reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a, when, I, when I put this in motion, what that looks like is as if Jesus was living my life through me. Holy and sanctified. It's living in such a way that our priorities Promote the life of Christ. It doesn't mean we avoid the people of the world. Just the opposite. We're called to go into the world, we're called to let our, sh- our lights shine in the world. But it also means that we don't compromise our holiness so that we might be accepted by the world. We need to hold in proper attention the reality that you and I are missionaries in the world around us. And the way you're gonna lead them to Christ is not to be acting like them, but being among them. Let me close with this quote from John Stott that really communicates the proper balance that I believe we need to hit when it comes to living holy lives. He says this, we are neither to seek to preserve our holiness by escaping from the world, right? That's not what we're to do. We're not to go join some monastery and hang, you know, stay away from the big, bad, nasty people, right? We are needed to seek to preserve our holiness by escaping from the world, nor to sacrifice our holiness by conforming to the world. It's letting our lights shine. And Paul will build on the importance of living holy lives in this hostile culture that we live as we anxiously await the coming of our Savior. And he's going to continue to challenge us in that in these next weeks ahead of what that looks like as we await the glorious return of our Lord. So Father, thank you for your word. Um, Lord, may we be people of faith, that's tied to the person of Jesus Christ. May that be seen and manifested in the way in which we love one another and love those around us that need to know you. And Lord, may our lives reflect the Holy One who has saved us. Lord, would you allow these words this morning to move from our ears to our hearts so that we'd put this in motion in such a way that Jesus would be glorified and that people would see the gospel in action in our lives. In Christ's name we pray.